How many of you are from the last session? Come back in. Okay. We already know each other then. <laughs> Good. All right. Okay. We'll get to our notes then. Um, the reason that I said yes to, to directing a music academy, because I'm a leader, I'm not really a music educator, but I can recruit music educators, and we've got a really great team, and they're really, really sharp. But my job is to make sure that the music education doesn't become an end, an end to itself. Um, I'm, a mus- I'm a musician. I would consider myself mostly a songwriter, and, and I love producing. I love studio production. Um, that's, I, it's my little weird laboratory where I escape four or five hours a week. And uh, I just, I really encounter God in the studio. And I love it. And, and it's just fun. And so I really appreciate that side of it. But I want to see, I want to make sure that the music education is connected to the knowledge of God and a life of prayer and to the, com- the second coming of, the, of Jesus to the planet. And the only reason I said yes to leading the school was because of the prayer room. Because honestly, without the knowledge of God, if music doesn't get us to the knowledge of God, and if music doesn't get us connection with his heart, and if it doesn't move angels and demons, then it's no better than a game of Scrabble. It's just kind of a cool little pastime that is entertaining but not very significant. But the truth is that music moves the spirit on both sides. On both sides. And uh, that's why it's so important. It's so critical. There is no neutral music. Music moves the, the spirit realm. And so I, I launched into a study of worship and singing and prophetic music related to the last generation before the Lord returns. And it shocked me because the entire stage is set up. The second coming is ushered in and the millennial kingdom, Jesus ruling on the planet, is established in the environment of prophetic song. And that's significant. That said to me, this is, this is important. And uh, Hebrews we read that Jesus sings among the congregation. He sings through the congregation's songs to the Father. That means when we get together and we start to worship, Jesus himself begins to sing to his Father love songs, songs of adoration, songs of, of worship, and it comes through us. We get caught up in the middle of the divine romance. And that's a powerful reality. Whether that's one or two of you or that's, a room of 10,000. And so I'm, I'm firmly committed to leading the music academy in such a way that would prepare musicians for the prayer movement and for the end times and honestly for suffering and martyrdom and victory over the enemy and for the great harvest and for signs and wonders and miracles. That's, that's what we're doing. It's not just about, hey, cool, we kind of had a, Holy Spirit Lilith Fair. And we all kind of wrote cool songs and drank cool coffee and hang out. No, that's cool. You know, hey. you know, I'm not into that. I mean, that's cool. I appreciate it. But I, I want my life to be about something deeper than that. Um, there's a man coming back to the planet to rule and reign. He's a Jewish man. And he's going to come and rule as the king of the earth. The human king of the earth. He's a human. One of, the, one of only three people in heaven right now with a human body, with a material body. The other two are uh, Elijah and Enoch. Because Enoch went up and didn't die, and Elijah got caught up in a whirlwind. And my opinion is that they're the two witnesses. Because it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment, they haven't died yet. So I think they come back as the two witnesses, but that's my opinion. You could run over and talk to Slyker, he might have a different opinion, but... Those are the fun things we debate and talk about in our E12 groups. Those are our, uh, stand for end times, our end times groups, small groups at the missions base. But 
Jesus, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16, 12, 16, 2, rather, verse 2. Jesus says a real stern rebuke to his generation. And I kind of laid the groundwork in the last session for the, the significance of just singing the word. And, and, and when I say singing the word or prophetic music, I mean instrumentation as well. We have, um, we have prophetic rooms at all of our conferences where we um, gather people in and we prophesy over about 200 people, two to 300 people every conference. And so at FMA, we have put together instrumental groups to sit in all of those prophecy rooms. And so when the Lord is, is speaking prophetically over people through the teams, we're playing something over them. And I don't go into that passively. I go in there and I open my Bible. I say, Lord, you know, put a passage on my heart. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. If he doesn't put a particular passage on my heart, I just open to up. Open up to one that it worked before. Like that one worked last time. I'm going there again. You know, Psalm 46. That was a good one last conference. I'm going there. So I just, you know, I don't kind of get all too mystical about it. I just go, Lord, you got something on your heart? Okay, I got to start playing in two seconds, Lord. Okay, nothing. Psalm 46. (laughs) That's how I do it. You know what? It still works. Honestly, I've done that so many times, and I'm and I put the Bible in front of me, and I'm usually in those settings. I'm playing penny whistle, Irish penny whistle, and so I got a little guitar player and a percussionist, and I'm playing Irish penny whistle, and I'm just looking at Psalm 46, and I'll read it, and I'll play, I'll try to play the emotion of that verse, or I'll look at somebody that's getting prophesied over, and I'll say, Lord, do you have a verse for them? And I'll turn to that verse, and I'll play it. And I'm telling you, the, pro- the prophetic teams come to us and they go, this is so much better than it used to be. Because they used to just have a little CD with instrumental music on the CD. You know, that's cool, but a CD can't kind of go, Lord, what's on your heart today? You know? You know, Holy Spirit, guide the shuffle mode. <laughs> Let it get to the right one, you know? That's sort of like a Ningo Montoya in Princess Bride going, Father, guide my sword, you know. <laughs> like the CD player doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, it works. If you don't have real musicians, go with this. I mean, it's, any music's better than nothing. But if you've got live people and you don't want to just play randomly, be engaged with the Holy Spirit. Lord, what, do you have a verse? Always go with the scripture because this is a written declaration of who the man Christ Jesus is. And so you go, Lord, what part of yourself do you want communicated to this person? And he'll lead you to a scripture. And if he doesn't particularly lead you, you pick one. You know, do you ever consider that maybe the Lord's going, well, what scripture do you want to play today? How about if we do this together? Why do I always have to tell you what to do? You know, I used to have a friend growing up. The guy, he traveled with our family and he was our sound guy. And uh, he was a year older than me. The guy could not order anything for himself in a restaurant. He was so shy. He would always say, he would always sit next to me and he'd always just say, I'll have what, I'll have what he has. So I found out what he hated and I ordered it every time. And I'd smile. You're gonna, I'm going to make you talk. It irritated me. It's like, talk to, what do you want? Talk to me here. You're my friend. I don't want just some robot. The Lord, the Lord many times wants to, uh, an engagement. He wants a partnership with us. I mean, a lot of times, even, even geographic decisions or decisions about, you know, maybe you're deciding, I, should I go to FMA or should I not? And you're kind of like, Lord, if I see a flaming arrow in the sky when I leave one thing, and I will know then that it is clearly you. And he's going, what do you want to do? Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you desire in your heart. He, he impregnates your heart with desire when you delight in him, when you enjoy him. So if you want to know what God's will is, go worship. Forget about your decisions. Forget about the, the options and all that. Enjoy Jesus and see what desire rises up in you. And most likely that's the Lord. That's what I do. And I go with that. 
I go, Lord, this is what I feel this when I'm when I'm really lost in you, loving you. This is what I really want. I'm going to go for it. And then I trust that he's a good shepherd committed to making sure that I get to my expected end much more than I am. He cares about me and he can steer a moving ship, but he can't. He's not going to pull the anchor up and and give you the push. You got to step out there. You got to move in the direction. So, you know, I want to encourage you to to partner with the Lord, even when in, in prophetic worship, say, Lord, what, do you have something on your heart? And if you don't get anything, I assume that he's going, oh, I get to pick today. He goes, what do you feel about that person? What, Derek, what do you think about that person? I'll look at the person. I don't, I don't know. Let's try Psalm 89 today. So, you know? And you know what? The Bible is all good and it's all true. And it all, the Holy Spirit likes all those verses. I don't think the Holy Spirit's ever like, Psalm 89. (laughs) You dummy. The Holy Spirit's never like that. He's like, I love Psalm 89. I wrote Psalm 89. Yay. He's always, he loves the word. You just start with the word. You're always safe and it's always right. You know, you never, you can never get to heaven and be like, you know, you prophesied all this stuff that was not my heart. And you go, uh-oh. No, you'll never be in that situation if you always use the word of God. You'll be like, no, Lord, you wrote it. I just said it. So watch out, guys. I could want to spit on you down there. So anyway, we better get to our notes. So Matthew 16, 2, Jesus says to his generation, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be storming for the sky is red and overcast. Do you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. And so he is rebuking his generation for not understanding the day and hour of of their visitation. He goes, you can look at the weather and figure it out. But you have the scriptures, the entire Old Testament, pointing to me, and you have not had wisdom. You haven't been alert and aware, and you haven't recognized my coming. And now that I'm here, you want me to, you want me to do a few magic tricks for you to prove my validity. He goes, wrong. I reveal myself to those who are alert and aware and who are, who are seeking me as treasure. Not those who kind of just showed up at the last minute and go, well, I don't know, like raise somebody from the dead and then I'll believe. I mean, sometimes he actually still does that for people. But most of the time, he will only reveal himself to those who are seeking him like treasure. He's too valuable just to throw revelation of himself to those who don't appreciate it, those who are casual about it. That's why I want to live this lifestyle. I want to be in a prayer room 24 hours a week before the Lord, seeking Him as treasure. Because I know that if for every hundred hours that I put in the, into that prayer room, about five of them will be golden revelation. But if I don't do the other 95, I'm not going to get those five that make my life totally different. And see, we're too, we're too casual about God, the knowledge of God. We're too, well, Lord, you know, I, I'm showing up and I'm hanging out in that prayer room for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes a week, you know. And I don't know, it's, it's okay. I don't really get anything about it. Didn't really do anything for me. I'm moving on. <laughs> He'll let you move on. It just depends how hungry your heart is. And so Jesus rebukes his generation for not understanding the signs of the times. We are commanded in Luke 21, 34, we're commanded to understand and be alert and watchful for the day of the Lord. He says, these are the words of Jesus, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. The day of the Lord, that doesn't just mean the 24-hour time period that Jesus returns. The day of the Lord is a term representing the judgments that we see in Revelation, including the second coming, and Jesus on the earth conquering his enemies and taking Jerusalem and establishing his reign. That entire time period is the day of the Lord. And so that time period 
I am convinced is in our lifetime. We are heading, we are racing into that. And I want to give you a few reasons why I believe that and why prophetic worship is absolutely critical. It's absolutely important. It's way bigger than cool CDs. It's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than, you know, an article in Worship Leader magazine. We're talking about the earth being plunged into a day of trouble like, like has never been seen on the planet. Jesus says in Matthew 24. A time of trouble and we have to prepare for it. And Jesus says to us, pray, be alert, be careful. He says, always be alert and pray that you would have strength to stand in that day. Beloved, I want to ask you a question. Are you praying for strength so that you would stand when he returns? Or are you just assuming you'll have strength? Like, they'll kind of give out free strength to everybody just because you said yes to Jesus at the altar call. That's not the way it works. Jesus said you have to ask for strength to stand. There's going to be a great falling away that comes in the church. A great offense that happens. I believe the, the offense in the Western world, in, America, in the American church, is going to be so great towards God because of the suffering and tribulation that's coming that we're not prepared for. We do not have a theology of suffering. We do not understand the value of suffering. The book of Job is something that we want to just skip over. When it was the very first book of scripture written and it sets the precedent of how God deals with his people. And we need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. We have to ask for strength. This is one of my daily prayers. I've got about six things in my journal. I go to the 6 a.m. prayer meeting every day and that prayer meeting I dedicate to pray for my own heart and my family. I just get that taken care of and no matter what else happens in the day I know I already covered the bases. And I go to the 6 a.m. prayer meeting and I have a list of about six things that I pray. One of them is this verse. Every day I pray this. In fact, I, blow, I put it on my computer screen. I blow it up real big and I turn it sideways so when I'm pacing the prayer room, I can see it. This verse, be careful. Do not be weighed down with the cares of this life. Do not be weighed down with a drunken spirit of the age. And this day close on you unexpectedly. Notice that the day will close on everybody. But he says, when it closes on you, you shouldn't be surprised by it. You should see it coming. We should know the season of Jesus' return. We cannot know the day and the hour. We cannot know the day and the hour. But, you know, you're not going to know if it's Thursday or Friday, but you ought to know the general season of his return. In fact, the Bible commands this to us in 1 Thessalonians 5.2. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That word watch means to pray. <laughs> be alert, pray, be sober. He says, yes, he's coming like a thief in the night, he, but he's only going to come like a thief to those who are in darkness. You're not in darkness. You ought to be alert and sober and aware of the day of his return. Do you have any idea of the season of his return and what that will look like? Or will it come upon you unexpectedly? I just made a case for Dave's book. End Time Simplified. <laughs> or the Omega Course. Or just the book of Revelation. Just read that. Start there. And the book of Daniel. It's not some side issue, guys. And for musicians and singers and worshipers, it's not a side issue. It is a central thing on the agenda of the planet. And worship is at the central part of it. And you need to know and have a firm picture and idea of what the climate will look like at the season of Jesus' return. So that you are expecting it. This lie that, well, we can't know the day and the hour, so why read it all? 
We can't know anything. Let's just walk blindly. That's, that's insanity. It's a lie. It's the enemy's ploy to get us to be unprepared. And those who are unprepared, those who are not praying for strength on the day of his return, and those who are not understanding the day and the hour of his return, what that looks like, they will fall away because they won't understand what he's doing. And it will cause a great offense in the heart of the church. Jesus says there will be a great falling away in Matthew 24. So there's some current signs of why I believe we are in the final generation. First of all, Zechariah 14. I'm going to move quickly if you want to take these notes. Also... If you want to email me, I will, I will email you these notes. It's, it's easy. I just hit reply and attach it and boom, it's done. I'm not going to send you, I'm not going to write three or four sentences to every single person. But I'll say, hey, here it is. Love you. There. Run with it. But these notes, and you just, for my first and last name at ihop.org, and I will email you these notes if you want them. But a couple reasons. One, Zechariah 14. This is one of the clearest chapters That we have describing the end of the age. And it clearly states that all of the nations on the earth. During the coming of the Lord. All of the nations on the earth will gather to fight against the nation of Israel. And against the city of Jerusalem. Well, that's been impossible for 1897 years. Because since AD 70. When Jerusalem was destroyed. All the way up until 1967. When the Jews finally controlled Jerusalem, that has been an impossibility. So nearly the entire time since Jesus ascended up until this generation, it has been impossible for the nations to gather against Israel and Jerusalem because they weren't even a nation, first of all. And when they did become a nation in 1948, they did not control Jerusalem until 1967. They finally controlled Jerusalem in 67. 1967. That's not that long ago. I mean, that's five years before I was born. It's in our lifetime, in our parents' lifetime. It would be considered this generation. Suddenly, after nearly 2,000 years, when the Lord, out of the ashes of the Holocaust, gives the Jews their nation back and restores it to them, and then in 67, in a miraculous war, really, if you study it, they take over the, the, the city of Jerusalem again and have control of it. And now suddenly Zechariah 14 is possible. That's really significant, you guys. Something that hasn't been possible for 2,000 years now in your lifetime and my lifetime is possible. The stage, a major piece of furniture on the stage has been set in place. That's one sign. And it's sick and very significant. The other one. And there's many signs. I'm just going to throw a couple out, out at you. Daniel 12:4 says, the angel says to Daniel, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. If you, I did a study and, and I go over this in depth in my class, uh, prophetic worship at the end of the age. It's one of our theological classes at FMA. The amount of increase of technology and knowledge in the last 80 years, 80, 100 years, it's staggering. When you graph it, it's just an explosion, an exponential explosion of information, knowledge, technology. And talk about a time in history when humans are running to and fro like at no other time, running back and forth and traveling. I mean, you guys came from all over the world. A couple days, we all come from all over the world, zoom. Come in for a couple days, run around, go to session, go to worship, go get coffee, go back to the hotel, get up early, come back, go back home. Woo! I'm refreshed. You know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, we live in, in, in just crazy times, technologically. Our night sessions going to a potential 50 million, audience of 50 million. This is just staggering. Suddenly, you know, it's just really odd, this, this connection with, with um, God TV. And suddenly our night watch, let's say one of our worship leaders was the, was the 4 a.m. worship leader for the last four years. And they're thinking the whole time, I'm totally hidden. I love God. I love this. I love the word. I'm totally hidden. I'm really not. I really can't tell that I'm going to impact that many people. I just play guitar. I'm just trying to keep it in tune. I'm just trying to keep my singers showing up. 
I'm just trying to get up in time and be there. And, and suddenly, in a short amount of time, now their set is the one that, that will be broadcast because in our night, it's day everywhere else on the earth, you know, in the, the rest of the world. Suddenly, the 4 a.m. worship leader is, is impacting worship leading to m- tens of millions of people. That's reality in our world. That's, that's crazy. It, this thing is so intense. It's speeding up. And the increase of knowledge is a sign of that. Letter, um, I was going to say letter C, but you don't have the notes in front of you. So the global increase of evil. Jesus said in Matthew 13, he says, there's a par- the parable of the wheat and the weeds that righteousness and evil would spring up and come to maturity together. That means what you can expect to watch on the planet is evil get worse and worse and the righteous get more righteous. There is a polarization that is happening. The kind of cultural relevance that I want is that when people come into some place where I'm leading worship or, or preaching or praying, that the secrets of their heart are revealed by a spirit of prophecy and they fall on the ground and say, God is in this place. Not, well, this is kind of hip and cool and I like the music and the coffee. And maybe Jesus is cool. You know what? To the natural mind, Jesus isn't cool. The, the natural mind, the natural man is offended by Jesus. Jesus is offensive. The gospel is offensive. It's an offense to tell someone you are desperately wicked and rightfully damned to hell for your rebellion to God. But that God loves you so much that he took on a body and he bled and was, was butchered on a cross. So that you could get into the gates of heaven. So that you could enter the kingdom. So that you could be filled with his presence and have everlasting life. People don't like to hear that. That's not real. Like, what are you saying? I'm not good enough? Exactly. You're hopeless. That's the gospel message. You're hopeless, but someone took care of it for you. And if you're like a child and you can accept your weakness and cry out for his mercy and receive his love and strength, there's there's hope for you. But if you have an inch of independence and resistance to his sufficient sacrifice for you and you want to play any part of it in your pride, you will be rightfully damned to hell. That's the gospel. That's not popular. We need to stop trying to make Jesus popular as if he needs help with his popularity. He's up there kind of sad with the poll numbers, you know. Jeez, I wish the American church could just kind of present me a little nicer. And people would like me and I could get my thing, my church going in the Western world. It's, it's silliness. It's so much more about us wanting to be accepted than in we, we call it trying to get Jesus accepted. I want to be accepted in one place, in the Revelation 4 throne room. I want to be like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, whose life rose like a memorial before God. Because of his fasting and his prayer and his alms, his giving to the poor. And it says that his life rose up like a memorial before the throne of God. Can you imagine that? Your life in the middle of four living creatures of beauty and splendor and a hundred million angels. Ten thousand times ten thousands who minister to him day and night. In the middle of that, that transcendent beauty and glory. In the middle of an of a emerald rainbow. And a sapphire throne and a crystal sea mingled with fire. It looks like glass. In the middle of that, your name rises up like a memorial. And you get God's attention. That's what I want. That's where I want to be accepted. That acceptance lasts for hundreds and hundreds of billions of years. It lasts forever. And if that costs me my acceptance with a, with a, with a hundred thousand other confused human beings on the earth who measure me by something that's going to go away tomorrow then so be it. And we need to have that kind of abandonment. And just because I said that doesn't mean I have that abandonment. It's my heart's cry. It's what I'm aiming at. The other sign of the times, I believe two things that we've seen in the last couple of years. I remember two one things ago, in December 04, I was here at one thing and the tsunami hit. Beloved, the greatest natural disaster to ever hit the planet since the flood. And in terms of human life, possibly the biggest ever. 
Because there might not have been 300,000 people even on the planet when Noah had the, you know, the flood happened. Nearly 300,000 people perish and the tsunami is caused by an earthquake. And this is what Isaiah 13 says about earthquakes. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. This is Isaiah 13, 11 through 13. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and, and shake the earth and move it out of its place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. He says, the reason the earth is shaken is because of the wickedness of man weighing down upon the earth. It stirs up God's wrath. Mother nature, whoever she is, did not cause the tsunami. Some pagan idea of a mother nature. No, there's a, it's called the father in heaven. It's called the creator said, I am going to shake the earth just a little bit, more than it's ever been shaken. But I'm going to send a message to the planet. I am not pleased with the rebellion of man's heart. Turn to me. I'm trying to have mercy upon you. Turn to me. 9-11 in New Orleans. Unprecedented events in our, in our history as Americans. Two signs to us. God is saying, awaken. Turn to me. I mean, an entire American city wiped out. And it's interesting... Revelation 9.21 talks about the, the, the four sins that men will not repent of even at the, after the sixth trumpet. We have the seals, seven seals, and the, and, the, and the seven trumpets. At the sixth trumpet, I mean, this is intense, intense judgment, in, intense suffering on the planet, and men go, no, God. And they will not repent from murder, magic arts, sexual immorality, or thefts. And what were the four things that we saw in New Orleans? A city steeped in, in uh, the occult, the sexual immorality that happened, the, the rapes that happened in the stadiums where people, you know, suddenly people don't have water, air conditioning, they don't have their cigarettes, they don't have, you know, their prescription medications, and they get real uncomfortable. And the demons manifest when people get uncomfortable. And the theft and the murder... And the immorality that came forth. It's unbelievable. Those very four sins were manifest. You know how easy it is for God. And, and by the way, the Lord brings judgment in series of three. When he, when he judged Israel, he did it in three installments when they went to Babylon. It was three installments. And there was like 20 years in between the different installments. So, you know, you get through installment two and you get five years down the road. You think, well, we're okay. You know, let's just go back to life as usual. The Lord goes, you're not really paying attention. America is not paying attention. The church in America is not paying attention. We've had two installments. It's not over. The Lord's, you know, he, he gives a, a couple of years of a breather. There is more to come. And it's going to get stronger and more intense. And the Lord's trying to shake us and wake us up and give us revelation. And shake us out of our slumber to do what? To do what he said in Luke 21. To pray. To be watchful and pray. To ask for strength. We go, Lord, what do you want me to do? You're going to shake everything that can be shaken. What should I do? Should I build a bunker? Should I get food and water? Should I get guns? What should I do? He goes, pray. Oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, I know. We pray. You know, like, what should I really do? And he's like, no, I, this is what I mean. I really, there's no option. Prayer is your salvation at the end of the day. Speak them, sing them. Think them, do it all. Pray, pray, pray. Be alert and watchful and pray. You know, the saddest thing, I led a house of prayer in Indianapolis for four and a half years. The saddest thing is, I didn't know hardly of any church in the city that had regular prayer meetings. Now, maybe there, I'm not saying I knew every church in the city, so I'm not making that judgment. But I, I knew a lot of churches, didn't know anybody that had regular prayer meetings. That's, that's pretty normal in America. I travel a couple times a month, go all over the country. Rarely run into a place, an established church that is dedicated to prayer. That concerns me. We're not ready for his return. The way that we get out of this dilemma, because Jesus is returning to the planet. 
says Haggai chapter 2, he says, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. Beloved, we are going to see this nation shook to the very core. And God is going to raise up a church, prophetic singers, preachers of, of the gospel message, prophets, worship leaders, writers, who have a clear forerunner message, a clear John the Baptist message that the Lord is coming, prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to give us a platform to deliver a message. And when he does, and it's, it's already beginning, we need authority from heaven. We need authority from heaven to deliver that message. And the sobering thing is, do you know where great authority comes from? Suffering. Job has great authority in heaven. You know, I want to read to you Job chapter 1, verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan said to the Lord, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, notice who instigates this whole, <laughs> this whole thing with Job? God does. Satan doesn't come and go, you know, Job irritates me. I want to, like, get some revenge. Satan, does, Satan doesn't say anything about Job. It's the Lord that picks the fight. He goes, hey, by the way, while you're walking around down there, you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. The fear of the Lord and shunning evil, turning away, saying no to temptation, gets God's attention. This, this man got the attention of the eternal ancient of days because of his lifestyle. That's authority. That authority and God's attention caused God to provoke Satan into a battle and Job was in the middle of it. Beloved, God is refining His church in the Western world. He's going to refine us to a place of righteousness that gets His attention and He will flaunt us in front of the enemy. Have you seen my church in America? The remnant. They have risen. They're praying. They're loving me. They're striving for 100% obedience. They're responding to the Sermon on the Mount. And Satan's going to go, yeah, but you, they don't go through any trouble at all. That's why they do all that. And I think the Lord's going to go, haven't we been through this before? <laughs> no, I'm really serious about this. I believe that Job's life is a, is a picture of what the end time church will go through. And he will say, all right, go ahead. You have at them. You know, it's the Lord who gives the Antichrist his authority. The book of Daniel tells us that. It's the Lord who sets it up. And He is going to set us up for a time of persecution and trouble and tribulation and martyrdom that will take us to a level of authority and righteousness in God. That during the judgments, you know, when people are like down in New Orleans, they have no water. They have, they have no home. They're living in some stadium that smells and it's dangerous. And suddenly somebody can stand up with authority and give them hope. That authority is not just because they said something with power. It's because they've got a life of suffering as well, but with a history of victory in the suffering. I love, you know, I kind of grew up on Billy Joel a little bit. And uh, I, loved, I, loved, I, don't, I love the lyric of, of one of his songs. Uh, the song is called Pressure. And I love the line. He says, and there you are with your smile and your Peter Pan advice. You have no scars on your face and you cannot handle pressure. Basically, he's going, you have nothing to say to me. You have no history beyond your pat answers. Beloved, the world is going to be in great suffering and difficulty in the judgments, in the trumpets, in the, in the seals, the trumpets and the bowls. They're not going to be interested in, in a little three-point sermon that we have on the theology of suffering. They're going to be interested in somebody that's got a history in suffering with victory and joy and has touched a greater reality and a greater strength that moves them through the place of suffering. When I say to you that singing the, the Word of God gave me strength 
when I had to look at my son in my casket. That gives, that has weight to it. I've walked through some waters and I, this thing is real. It's real. It's not because I've, it's not because I'm, uh, you know, hermeneutically sound and I broke down the passage just right and I understand what the Greek word meant and now I can explain it to you. That's good. I appreciate that. I mean, I really appreciate that. We need to know how to do that. But I want somebody with, that's got some bruises and scars and history. That's why I love Mike. Years and years of faithful being before the throne of God, regardless in the popularity, in the scandals, in the lies, in the opposition. Somebody who's fought the fought, fought the fight and won the war and been in it. And that's what this, this world is going to need. And so Job had great authority. He had great authority at the end of his life when the Lord restores everything to him. And he's able to stand there and say... You know what? Though you slay me, I will trust you. What kind of guy says that? What does he know about God? That's what the world's going to be looking at us. They're going to be in the middle of the judgments of God. God's trying to win them over. He's putting pressure on them so that they would turn before they perish eternally. And they're going to be looking at us. And they're going to look at you and go, you're not doing any better than I am. You're in the same difficulty. In fact, we put you in prison. You're in a prison camp because of your faith. So what is your answer? And you look at them with tears running down your face and joy in your heart and a reality of life where you can show kindness and tenderness and you have a living song in your heart. And when you lay your hands on them, they feel the presence of God and they can get healed and you can set them free from demons and they go, my goodness, where did you get that? And he go, and you say, because I love him no matter what's going on. Because <laughs> this is going to be over in a minute and I win. This is just the last 10 minutes of the test. But I happen to know the answers and the results of the test. It's going to be okay. I've got a history with him. I know who he is. Because I lived in the word, I prayed, and I've filled my heart with singing his word and speaking his word back to him. We have a history, and I've walked through difficulty, and I've got authority because I've been there. And you can make it. That's why in Hebrews 12, when he says, since you've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, therefore, that's been set before us. Let us cast off every sin and weight that so easily entangles us. Let us run with patience. He goes, the reason you can run, the reason you can know you're going to win is because there's a whole cloud of witnesses around us of everybody that's gone before. The guys who were sawn in two, the guys who were martyred, the guys who were in the lion's den, the guys who went up against kings and armies and they saw the faithfulness of God and they're surrounding you saying, go for it. Don't give up. This works. Have strength, have faith, run your race. And he says, fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him who suffered such opposition from men. Why would you want to do that? Because when you consider his suffering and his opposition and the fact that he had victory, know that he cleared the path for you and for me. And if we will follow in his footsteps, it, we will have that same guaranteed victory. Even the weakest ones of us who stay faithful. He looks at the church of Laodicea, first three chapters of Revelation, letters to the seven churches. He says to the church of Laodicea, if any of you in that church will stay faithful, if you will be true, if you will remain faithful to me, he goes, you will sit with me. If you will be an overcomer, if you will fight the opposition, you will sit with me on my throne. He says that to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Beloved, there's, there's not one of us in this room that's too far gone to be able to today turn in our hearts and say, God, I want you and I want you with all of all that I have. <clears throat> and God will say, I'll take it. And you know what? If you will be an overcome, I'll sit, I'll seat you next to me on my throne. That's fascinating. We need to have the word of the Lord in the song of the Lord. David goes before a demonized king and in Samuel, he goes before Saul, who's demonized, and he plays his harp. He doesn't even sing. 
that much. I mean, he's mostly playing. This should encourage you guitar players. He's playing prophetic music and he's singing the song of the Lord and the demon leaves. When Elisha needs to give a prophetic word to a king, he says, go get a musician for me. And the musician comes in, the musician plays, and Elisha gets the prophetic word and gives it to the king. You guys, some of you have a call on your life to be prophetic musicians who accompany prophets who give words to kings in these final days. And presidents and heads of state and move and shift things. Some of you are called to sit in a prayer room and be broadcast to somewhere, you know, in Korea and have people impacted by this worship song you're singing that God gave you, you know, when you thought no one was looking. My point is that we are living in significant times and every single one of you, your calling, your gifting is significant. But beyond that, God has to call you to a place of character and proving And you are going to walk through troubled waters. And you have to have strength to get through it. And if you do not pray for strength, you will not stand. You will fall away. That's guaranteed in the scriptures. We must pray for strength. Let's stand real quick. We don't really have much room for an altar call. So I'm just just going to do this where you're at. But the... Our generation and history is heading to a a day of decision where it's life and death. It's going to require your all at some point. I suggest you do it now. And what that means is not so much right now in this moment you have a neat altar experience. and I mean, that's good. But you set the course of your life, which means your time and your money. Beloved, we don't have time left to do too many side things, if any. We need to get real focused and we need to get real, real vigilant about the day and hour that we live in and the calling that we have upon our lives. And most of us come, and I appreciate coming to worship times to get our own hearts refreshed because that's a real part of it. He really is a comforter and, he, and we need that. We need strength in our inner man. But we need to have more of a vision of worshiping together corporately to move things in the spirit and move Move angels and demons. And prepare the way of the Lord. And so I just want to, I want to invite you to a lifestyle. And I found, you might be more disciplined than me and stronger than me. But I found that I cannot live this lifestyle unless I'm living it with others who do it. I have to have a group of people with me. That's why I started the House of Prayer. It was totally in Indianapolis. It was totally selfish. I just wanted a couple other people to make sure that I showed up at the meetings, because I knew I wouldn't do it if 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 they weren't counting on me to be there. I'm just too weak. And so I got a group of people, and you know they showed up because I expected them to, and I showed up because they expected me to. And half the meetings I showed up is because I was the leader, and I didn't even like the meetings, but I did it. And I prayed, and God worked something into my inner man. And that's why I still, that's why I moved down here. I said, I want to run with more. I want to run with the movement. Because it's such a critical battle right now. Don't, I I would really encourage you, unless you have an angel, literally, I'm, I'm not being cute. Unless an angel from heaven comes and visits you and says, you, I'm going to use you to change your city. Mostly, just be concerned about salvaging your own heart. Make sure that you're going to make it through the end. Get strong. Get might in your inner man. And do whatever it takes to get might in your inner man. Do whatever it takes to be a man or a woman of prayer. Do whatever it takes to get a prophetic song alive in you. To know the word. This thing should be your songbook. And when you open, you know, when I open Psalm 46, I've got hours and hours of memories attached to that. Of times that I've sung that psalm. Or Psalm 103 that I've done with my kids. In Children's Equipping Center. That's our psalm. We do that all the time with my kids. They're my singers and my prayer leader. And we go. Psalm 103. For two years now. It's all we ever do. But I've got, we've gone deep on that. I've got history. I open Psalm 103 and I go, oh, I've lived in this place. That's what we need. We need might in our inner man. We need reality. So, Lord, I just ask that you would just speak to us. And whatever this means for you. But it, but it always comes down to the realm of time and money.
What are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with your time? Are you going to go after a heavenly vision? Or are you going to go after a self-guided career? Or will you go after the kingdom of heaven? Will you put yourself before the flame of God's word and his in the place of prayer? Will you call others around you and will you go be with those who want to do this? Because I promise you that it's easy to do at the conference. It's hard to do when you go home if you do not have friends. And if you don't have friends, find some, make them, pay them, whatever you got to do. I mean, that, that usually doesn't work, by the way. But, um, but do whatever you got to do to get to the place where you can run with the people who take this seriously because you'll become like the ones you're around. You really will. You really will. You will adjust to the climate around you. And like I said, there might be those rare cases where an angel shows up and tells you, I'm going to use you to change this city. Stay where you are and, and do what you're doing, and I'm going to gather those around you. And if that happens, man, he's going to give you the grace. I mean, that happened to Mike in 84. But that's a rare, rare occasion. Most, most of us are called to a movement together, to run together and go after this. So, Lord, I just ask for grace right now. I ask for strength for these guys. Lord, in these days that are going to increase in evil, they're also going to increase in righteousness and power and might. And Lord, we need authority, God. We ask, Lord, I ask for strength, God. God, I am so weak, Lord. I ask for might from heaven to run the race. There's a cloud of witnesses telling us their story. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us see God, the joy set before us, so that we can endure and run this race. And Lord, let it be said of us, like it was said of Job, there's none on the earth like them, righteous who shun evil. Lord, that we would be ones that you brag about to Satan. When you want to rub his face in something, you mention our names, God. Give us the strength needed to walk through the waters of testing and proving, trial and tribulation, that we would have a reality in us to give to the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you.